You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor. Joining me as always, but from a, on the other side of the continent, Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now and my co-host, Shang Peng. Shang, how you doing? Uh, pretty good. Uh, I'm just trying to talk uh, quietly uh, so I don't uh, wake up my Airbnb neighbor. It's about uh, 1220 here in Ottawa. So listeners, uh, for this little segment, I won't be blasting your ears for once. <laughs> I think the, the we are finally on the other side, or the shoe's on the other foot for me. I finally got a <laughs> mic amp, and you have to be quiet. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so just wanted to make a quick note prior to hopping into this episode. We are recording this uh, late Wednesday night. So anything that uh, we talk about, you have to understand that this is the date that we are talking about this information. And uh, especially with our interview guest, Jack Hahn, who will be joining us later on in the podcast, it's important to understand that we're only going to be talking about the first two games of the Sharks season. And if you're listening to this after the Ottawa or Toronto games, uh, just understand that that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, But on today's episode, we start off with, uh, you know, what else other than more uh, Vander Kane talk? But... Good news is we have plenty of Sharks talk with Jack Hahn, like I said, coming up. So he was able to watch that Montreal game. He talked about the extent of it with us. And we also actually have a, he made a really cool video for us specifically, a special power play breakdown video that will appear on uh, the article for this podcast on SanJoseHockeyNow.com. So make sure you head on over, go to SanJoseHockeyNow.com. If you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe and watch that video because Jack is just, been described as having an elite hockey mind and elite hockey insight and when you listen to the interview you guys will completely understand and agree with those (laughs) with those points of view also just wanted to quickly note and we talk about it in the interview as well if you go to purchase his book hockey tactics 2021 make sure you use promo code shang5 to get five dollars off your purchase now, I don't know if for Canadian listeners if it's like the equivalent of five U.S. dollars, <laughs> but you're going to get some semblance of five bucks off of that book. That's so, a Shang 7, I think. Oh, Shang 7. <laughs> Insider. <laughs> uh, before we jump into the Evander Kane talk, do a quick social media shout out to ourselves. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at SJHockeyNowPod. You can follow the network at HockeyPodNet. And you can follow myself at NickFloor underscore. Shang, where can they find you? Find all my work at Shang underscore Peng, and also uh, all my work at San Jose Hockey Now. All right, the moment we've all been waiting for. Just kidding. No one, no one wants to wait for this. But Shang, really quickly, you told the folks earlier that you were recording this. You're in Ottawa right now. I wanted you to kind of talk about the contributions that you've been getting from your your readers and the San Jose Hockey Now podcast listeners over this last week. Yeah, uh, when uh, I was on the way to Montreal, the first stop of this road trip, I had a uh, layover in Chicago, and I wrote a a little post um, asking for contributions to my travel tip jar, 
And I just wanted to say uh, thank you. Uh, I've been floored uh, by the support uh, to my tip jar uh, from you, the readers and listeners. Um, at this point, it's more than I actually received last year uh, in terms of because I had a tip jar last year too. And to me, uh, I think of it as a validation that San Jose Hockey now has indeed put out a good year of content that uh, you're willing to invest in another year, be it uh, with subscription or a donation or both. Um, and so anyway, uh, thank you so much. And once again, uh, your money will be put to good use. 100% of your contributions go to my travel expenses. And last year, uh, I and you guys saw this, I traveled to Vegas, Arizona, LA, and Anaheim. I drove on every one of those trips. I was the only Sharks reporter at Patrick Marlowe's 1,768th game. And I'll admit that I did some of this at some loss financially, but your contribution, so much appreciated, really helped to mitigate you know, these losses and made this possible. So anyway, this year, with all the teams playing each other again, and now there's longer and international travel is back, uh, your support is even more appreciated. And anyway, I just want to say we're going to have another great year of content, and there's some huge, huge site news coming. And the uh, clue I'll drop is that you might see me on TV, and we'll just put this on as, as a might for now. Oh, Shang, dropping the insider knowledge. Only San Jose Hockey Now podcast listeners are getting that information, by the way. You won't find that anywhere else but here on the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, big thank you to everyone who's contributed. If you're thinking of or if you want to contribute, it is on SanJoseHockeyNow.com. It's on the sidebar. You can see it. It'll say Shank's tip jar. Um, if you can make a contribution, again, Shank says before, he greatly appreciates it. So, now to the fun stuff, Shang. Um, Evander Kane was slapped with a 21-game suspension from the NHL due to violating league COVID-19 protocols. The Sharks were informed of the news. Evander Kane uh, released his statement via the NHL Players Association saying he apologizes for the mistake, which is a funny use of a word mistake there. Um but he apologizes for the mistake, and he's currently working on becoming a better person. This isn't verbatim, um, but that's essentially paraphrasing. And the Sharks essentially said they were disappointed, and they have no further comment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the real big question was surrounding how the players responded to this news, specifically to you, to the media. And um, Shane, what did we find out from the players? Right. Uh, before we get to that, I did want to actually, uh, you sparked a thought about Evander Kane's response. And Evander said he's getting counseling. But the yeah. question that we, we haven't answered yet is, what is he getting counseling for? Is he getting counseling for faking a COVID vaccination card? Because I don't. Yeah, that's a mistake. You know, it, it's a mistake. No, no, no. Sorry, Kane, that and wasn't a mistake. <laughs> if it's for gambling, which, yes, is indeed a serious problem, then that's a whole separate problem, right? Then yeah. uh, counseling for his mistake but okay so let's get to uh your uh, question about uh, how the sharks reacted and the sharks uh, got this news while they were in montreal 
and the Sharks are going to have this fun gauntlet of going through Montreal media. Ottawa media was pretty uh, light today, so maybe Ottawa media won't be too bad. And then they're going to go to Toronto, the the big daddy of them all, and the they'll have daddy. to answer a ton of Evander Kane questions that uh, they were already peppered with by us uh, during training camp, but had to answer them all over again uh, now mm-hmm. that there's some clarity on the issue. And now there's some clarity on the issue because before in training camp, when we asked the Sharks, the party line was, it's all under investigation still. We don't want to comment on active investigation, et cetera, et cetera. You kind of knew that was BS, but I mean, they weren't wrong. It was an active investigation, right? Mm -hmm. That investigation is over. Uh, Kane obviously slapped with the 21-game suspension for a COVID protocol violation, most likely a fake vaccination card. Um, the domestic violence uh, accusations by Anna Kane were not substantiated, so it doesn't mean they aren't true or didn't happen, but there isn't evidence for it. Currently. Currently, yes. And so, anyway, so now we have clarity. And so you think with some clarity, maybe the Sharks would uh, open up a little bit or talk a little bit more about their longtime teammate, Evander Kane. Wrong. If Get the anybody, buzzer. Bang. If anybody, anybody left out there was under the illusion that the Sharks were open or at least, let's say, want him back, actually want him back. I think the reaction by the players and the coaches to the announcement of his suspension, that clarification, tells you everything. And so is Evander Kane welcome back to the locker room? That's something that we asked multiple players. Mark Edward Vlasic said, we'll see once the suspension is over. (laughs) 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 And I bet I can dig through a whole number of long suspensions by players. Um be it a Mark Shifley or a Rafi Torres or Matt Cook or whoever, right? And you ask their teammates, hey, you know, uh, is so on. If, if look, this, is not the, this is not a perfect example, of course, but if I had asked a Winnipeg Jet in the offseason, hey, is Mark Shifley welcome back to the locker room, you know, because of his suspension for that hit, right, right in the playoffs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They would have looked at, looked at me like I had grown six eyes on the top of my head. Like, what kind of fucking stupid question is that of course mark shifley is welcome back in the locker room not only is he a good player but we like him yeah now evander kane is also a good player but maybe he's not as well liked as a mark he's shifley. not as well liked Shane. you don't <laughs> gotta beat around the bush anymore <laughs> so okay so that was mark edward vlasic on whether or not evander kane would be welcome back to the locker room and I have an article on uh, San Jose Hockey Now that catalogs more of the reactions this is just a sampling of it yeah so another question we asked is, well, okay, so now we have clarification. Are you going to reach out to Evander Kane? Bogbugner said, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> and Holy moly. Not even yeah. a wellness check, nothing. Just I didn't even think about it, actually. <laughs> okay. And is there any sympathy emanating from the Sharks for Evander? And Mark Edward Vlasic said in French, and I had it translated, uh, or a French reporter that was kind enough to translate it uh, uh, for me, and Mark Edward Vlasic said, he put himself in this situation. We have hockey to concentrate on. I said, I I actually tweeted out when you reported that, 
on Twitter. I, I retweeted that and I was like, this is the most damning comment because I mean, that's just not, that's not saying I feel sympathy. That's not saying no comment. That's the complete other side. Yeah. I feel zero sympathy. He put himself in the situation. It's his problem right. to deal with, not mine. Right. Right. And actually, that same reporter that helped translate that quote, uh, the way he put it was that he felt zero empathy in French from Vlasic yeah. on Evander's situation. And I felt zero sympathy in English, the questions that Vlasic answered in English. And it's not just Vlasic. It's uh, uh, everybody that the Sharks brought to the podium. Uh, you know, Not to say there was maybe, maybe there's some empathy, but there's no sense that this team, this organization wants him back. Um, yeah. So anyway, so what's next for Evander, of course, is the big, big question. And, of course, he can play for the Sharks again. Uh, you know, the suspension ends on uh, – he'll be eligible for the mm. November 30th game against New Jersey. So, uh, so he can play for the Sharks again. Um, but based on the apparent lack of contact between Evander Kane and his teammates and – uh, Logan Couture said he hadn't talked to Evander at all really recently and didn't know if any of his teammates had talked to or didn't know of any teammates of his, of his that had talked to Evander. Yeah. So anyway, based on this apparent lack of contact between Evander and his teammates, my guess is it'll take more than an edible arrangements as an apology. And if you watched Kane's Sports Center interview in what seems like forever ago in this saga, that did not appear to be a man who's sorry for much of anything. So um, we'll, we'll we'll see on that part. You know that yeah, is way, that is way too many stuff. smiles in that interview. In my personal opinion, yeah. To for to, you know, looking at a person who has remorse, you the body language can usually show how a person feels, regardless of what they say. No, no remorse, no nothing. Right, and so. That is indeed locker room stuff, so we won't know. Maybe yeah. Evander uh, can produce an apology that can win over enough of his teammates that, okay, maybe we'll give this guy another shot. But uh, maybe not, too. And it seems like, based on some of the things we've seen, like the Sports Center interview, the maybe not uh, trend is might be more likely. Yeah. So uh, Chris Johnston uh, wrote today in the Toronto Star, that the Sharks, uh, and this is something that, that we thought already, or I thought already, but yeah, this confirms it, that the Sharks cannot terminate or void Kane's contract based on the COVID violation. And not that Chris needs confirmation, but I checked with a highly placed NHL source on that, and indeed, that is true. Um, you know, long and short of it is that the NHL put out its, its, uh, its punishment. So the Sharks can't do anything to supersede it. You know, the NHL could have voided Kane's contract. Just for example, if Kane had been found guilty of the gambling violations or gambling on Sharks or NHL games, then I think that that, was the, that would be a course that the Sharks, I'm sorry, the NHL would have pursued with or without the Sharks. Yeah. So anyway. Okay, so I'll have more on all of that. Um, I'm uh, going to tease something that I'm writing now. And my belief is that, and I've talked about this in previous articles, that maybe this would be a possibility that the Sharks would pursue. But my belief is that a Mike Richards-like settlement isn't in the cards either. 
And you had to go back a little bit for this, but remember the Kings and Mike Richards agreed to a one-time settlement that basically spread Richards' cap hit among the stars <laughs> until 2032. And this isn't something that there's actually a precedent for in the CBA or just not written in the CBA. It's something that kind of, like you said, a one-time thing. And the NHL and the NHLPA had to agree to it along with the Kings and Richards. And so my understanding is that that isn't something that's going to happen at this point. And when I say at this point, you know, who knows what's coming with Evander Kane yet. Yeah. It's like <laughs> but, a freight train. <laughs> but anyway, so what's left here, okay? If you want to make sure Kane doesn't suit up for the Sharks ever again, maybe, maybe, you have to write out this season and then buy him out in the offseason because the buyout window closed last offseason already. You can't buy out players in the middle of the season. Yeah. So by write out the season, we're not talking about him playing actually playing for the Sharks. We're talking about paying him to stay home. There's no way he's reporting to the Barracuda. There's no way I can imagine that the Cuda would want him around their younger players. No way. <laughs> no. So, and not. Could you, you know, imagine Roy? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and like I said, he's not. I doubt he's going to do that, too. Yeah. Um, but you can reassign him there and just make sure he doesn't, he doesn't actually show up. <laughs> yeah. You so, literally can't show up to the Sharks games because you're not on the Sharks roster. <laughs> So my personal belief is that Evander Kane has played his last game as a Shark. Yeah. And I've been wrong before. Before the COVID protocol violation, the domestic abuse allegations, when it just was gambling, that was the problem, or gambling on NHL games, I thought Evander would start the season with the Sharks, even with the locker room problems that we've also heard about. And it's because I thought the gambling allegations would be proven false, and it seems like they were. And so I thought, well, what else is what else is in the way between Evander and starting the season with the Sharks? Apparently, a lot more than <laughs> than just yeah. uh, the possibility of gambling on your own games. Anyway, the clock is ticking on the Sharks. How do they get rid of a twenty-eight million dollar problem by November thirtieth? You know, Shang, um, that's probably the biggest question that's out there, unfortunately, for the Sharks Twitterverse, Universe, Redditverse, all the verses, the multiverse, the Sharks multiverse right now is experiencing. And unfortunately, a team that's starting off so well um, kind of has to deal with this. But that's just the nature of the beast, essentially. And they can't get rid of the contract in my opinion there's you're not going to find a team i mean even a team like the montreal canadians who uh drafted a, a logan Milou, and a team like the carolina hurricanes who bypass all the tony d'angelo stuff uh, to get him on their roster i still don't see either of those types of teams that would value winning over their locker room problems not to mention the cap hit that he carries um the sharks thought that they could fix him quote unquote back when the sabers were trading him and we see kind of where that got them right now now none of this 
locker room discord kind of came out ever in the years that they were winning. You know, during those Stanley Cup playoff runs during the 2019 Western Conference Finals, uh, you know, finish that they had against St. Louis. Well, I mean, None of this stuff exists then. That's sort of the, what we haven't yeah. quite solved yet, right? Like, when did yeah. this kind of uh, dam sort of break? Yeah, and it seems, I mean, if you try to look at the pattern, like the Winnipeg problems that he had, they weren't that great of a team then. And then Buffalo hasn't been a good team in God knows how long. So maybe it's that, that losing environment that brings out the toxicity. And maybe you can try to put him on a team that's winning and throw him in the corner of the locker room, put him out on the ice to score goals, and then just send his ass home. But right now for the Sharks, I don't see a team that's willing to take that problem because it just doesn't make any sense to me. And there's that he's not going to play for the Sharks, in my opinion, like you said. We talked about it before. Uh, is any of this stuff irreparable? And these responses are saying, yes, all of this is irreparable. They're tired of him. The, the Sharks players don't want him in the locker room they don't want them on the ice they have a level of chemistry and excitement about them right now while with their play that i haven't seen in years so why would they want to bring in a toxic bomb to essentially break all that up and i think that at the end of the day i'm not sure how the cap hit works now i should have researched this prior to but the cap hit may possibly go down by a small margin if he gets uh, sent down to the Barracuda. It um, it does, but it's it's a yeah. marginal amount. It's yeah, it's it's, uh, it's basically a, a it's a million uh, that you can bury in the miners. If you send them to the miners, it has nothing really to do with the cap hit. It's just that you don't want them around with the sharks, and yeah. you're assuming he's not going to report to the Barracuda, and so yeah. you're paying him again to stay at home. And I think that's eventually how, or or I think that's the route that the sharks are going to take. If I were to put my my money on it. If I was a betting man, <laughs> I would uh, put my money on him more than likely getting sent down uh, for the the random possibility that someone takes a shot no and one, picks no him one's up. Taking, no no one's but, taking the contract, yeah. So yeah. that's something to get out of your get out of uh, of your mind or possibility. I do yeah. think that if the Sharks do end up buying him out of off season, that a team will look at him because he's still a very good player, obviously. Oh so yeah, a team will look at him at at a low low cost contract, low risk contract to them. Yeah. Um, but. This contract as it is, you know, and I need to look at the numbers, but even if you trade him and retain some salary, um, is that going to be worse than a buyout? You know, uh, because the buyout is you're still going to be you're still going to be responsible for a, a significant cap cap hit just spread over. If you buy him out this this coming off season, that's six years. And uh, we look like Martin Jones's buyout, uh, basically, because Jones's buyout was with three years left on his contract, too. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, you might weigh that, you know, retaining some salary or buying him out. What is, what is better? Because yeah. maybe a team will take him on if they're paying a lot less than 7 million per year, maybe. Mm -hmm. But again, I, even I find that unlikely because I just don't know who would want to commit three years to, uh, this, uh, this guy. Um, so I can see if he's bought out, a team will definitely, I think there'll be actually, uh, a strong market for him probably uh, for a, a one year or two year contract make yeah. make right contract teams want to win in the league more than anything in most in most situations yeah. but just to answer your question shang ran that buyout calculator for you as of june 15 2022 
his cap hit uh, for the first year is three point six 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 million dollars. Then it goes down to two point six, up to four point six, and then the final three years is one point six, one point six, one point six. So that's a lot of buyout money on the books for the Sharks. A but, lot of six 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 there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah but that's that's a lot of buyout money on the Sharks for both Evander Kane and Martin Jones. But yeah, um, that that four point six, the three point six, those 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 are the the toughies. The one point six you can stomach, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's you know you you've made your bed now you must lie in it, Doug Wilson, and you know I'm sure that's not going to settle over well with the investors or, <laughs> but that's um. That's the nature of the beast in this in this scenario for the Sharks. And um, by that time, they'll have a lot of other big contracts coming off the books, and they'll be pretty much into the realm of giving William Eklund his good RFA deal because he's going to be tearing it up by then. So, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, – when I said before, a lot of questions still remain about this. I was talking about how the Sharks are going to handle this. And I, I still think the question is still up in there how they're going to try to do it. They're going to try to do it in the cheapest way possible, I think, is the only answer that I can I can give out there confidently. Yeah, but there's no um, – there's but there I don't think there will be a cheap way. Uh, they no. cannot void or terminate. And so at that point, then, it gets to all uh, very expensive ways of getting rid of the problem. But yep. anyway, I did, I did want to just end by uh, teasing – uh, our talk with Jack Hahn, uh, that's, that's coming right up here. And you talked about multiverses. And imagine a multiverse, uh, a, a, a universe where the biggest problem the Sharks have is Joe Pavelski's advancing age. Because you just signed him to a three-year, $21 million contract. <laughs> and you let <laughs> I want to live in walk. that universe. You let Evander Kane walk in the summer of 2018. And you opted for Pavelski. And I've never been much for, you know, always bemoaning uh, Pavelski leaving maybe because I'm not a fan you know so so it's not about that for me but um, you know it's one of those kind of sliding door moments where you pick the younger faster uh, more athletic player in in a, in a Vander Kane in the summer of 2018 and you let the slower older uh, veteran go and in most cases, uh, most scenarios, that's what you should do. You know, in sports, that's what you should do. Yeah. But um, this is a situation where, uh, yeah, you know, uh, if you just 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 looking looking back, um, <laughs> you know, if your biggest problem is 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 Pavelski's age uh, on your roster compared to everything that Vander Kane has brought, uh, mostly bad <laughs> over the last few years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, something something to think about when you talk about multiverses. Hindsight is twenty twenty, Shang, and uh, right now we're suffering as as sharks fans. <laughs> so, um, that I think that pretty much wraps up the lovely Evander Kane talk. Now, again, we um, we got a great interview coming up with Jack. Right, honestly. A ton of sharks talk on it. So yeah, uh, good sharks. Very talk. little, very little Evander Kane talk. <laughs> Yeah, like minuscule. No, we talk about all the good things um, and, and little bad things here and there about uh, what the Sharks have started off the year, with, you know, starting two and zero, beating Montreal five and zero or five to nothing. Uh, and then again, I want to remind everyone: go to SanJoseHockeyNow.com, watch the video uh, that Jack made specifically for us and for you, the listeners. Yep, um, Sharks to power take, play in Montreal. Yeah, take a look at that power play. 
and and essentially why it's been successful thus far these first couple games um before we get into that interview of course we got to thank this week's sponsor DraftKings. nfl fans hungry for a big win this week well DraftKings sportsbook the official betting sports partner of the nfl has you covered new customers can bet just five dollars on any nfl team to win their game and if they do you win two hundred dollars in free bets winner winner chicken dinner it's that simple if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed because everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. With promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And, without further ado, the man, the myth, the legend, Jack Hahn. And joining us on the podcast today is someone who possesses an elite hockey mind, a man who can find a way to relate fighter pilot maneuvers to playing defense in the NHL. He's been a writer for the Montreal Canadiens official website, a video coach and analytics coordinator for McGill University Women's Hockey. He's also been heavily involved in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization from scouting to analytics to even being an assistant coach for their AHL team, the Toronto Marlies. And just last week, he joined the Connecticut Whale of the Premier Hockey Federation as a consulting coach responsible for tactics, analysis, and player development. Ladies and gentlemen, hailing from the beautiful city of Montreal, Jack Hahn. Jack, how's your day going so far? Excellent. It's great to be here. And speaking of Montreal, I was able to to show uh, Shang around. uh, We went to a few underrated spots. We had some poutine, had some Portuguese chicken. It was actually all in one dish. And... uh, yeah, so shout out to the the good folks at uh, my Pourmouillé. And uh, did, did you end up going to get smoked meat, Chang? So that's where my bone to pick is with you, Jack. You told me Schwartz's Deli was over the hill, the Mark Edward Vlasic of Montreal cuisine. And I thought it was delicious. I thought it was really, really good. Well, I mean, when... Um... When the sun shines just right, uh, Mark Edward Vlasic is still a, a pretty decent <laughs> shutdown defenseman. So, well, well, I'm happy you had a good experience because yeah, uh, cause I, cert- I got the fatty. It was uh, yeah, it, it was actually really really good. <laughs> oh, so uh, what what did you make of your first trip to the Bell Center? Oh, it was uh, cavernous, and it was uh, interesting how kind of empty it was. People were talking about just how funny it was that it was you know only sixteen. 16- thousand people attended even though it was a team that uh, made it to the final last year obviously we're still in the pandemic and so that might have something to do with it but it was a little bit kind of uh, interesting and empty in that way uh, i did like the gondola setup gondola setup of the press box that was pretty cool uh, so I, I enjoyed we got pretty good views of the game that way and i think um, there's not a lot of arenas that do that kind of setup it's literally guys um so they build an arena, and then they, they put kind of like in a ring uh, coming down from the ceiling. That's where they put the, the press. 
and that does look like a great set piece for Sudden Death 2 with the entire press box crashing down around uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Or it wouldn't be. It would be Vin Diesel now, I guess. But So hopefully that doesn't happen when I'm in it one day. <laughs> but when you're sitting up there, though, it's actually pretty kind of neat, and it is indeed kind of like a gondola. And I will wrap up uh, my thoughts, and I'm going to write about this a little bit, my, uh, my, food, uh, my food tour of Montreal and the hot dogs at the Bell Center. Uh, let's just say they. I agree with you on that one, Jack, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, um, you know, I I spent uh, my fair share of time in price boxes across the NHL, and like my favorite one still Montreal, just because of like it was. It's very well designed in the yeah. sense that it's easy for journalists to work there. Yep. Like the the elevators are quick. There's several of them. You get down the locker room right away. Like the the view from the press box is really good because you're literally hanging over the ice. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the Sharks, uh, Canadians game, the Sharks really cleared out the place. I was really surprised about that. <laughs> yeah. I think pretty much all Sharks fans were, uh, remotely surprised with that, uh, happily surprised, I should say, but you know, I, I guess we can't, or we may be able to tr- uh, trust you in regards to smoked meats in Montreal, but we can trust we you. We can't with trust Jack. them with them. We can't trust them. We with can't. That. That's, we that's cannot good. trust you. <laughs> <laughs> but we can trust you with hockey, Jack. It seems. Um, so we're actually bringing Jack on because you know you wrote a very insightful hockey book called Hockey Tactics 2021. It's actually the follow up to Hockey Tactics 2020 and Hockey Tactics Retrospective 1975 to 1986. Jack, also, you wrote a newsletter, or you are currently still writing a newsletter called the Hockey Tactics Newsletter. So in terms of hockey insight, you can't really do much better than you, in my opinion. You know, fans can't do much better than you as far as that goes, which is why you are here. (laughs) So you did us the favor of watching the Sharks demolish, dismantle, destroy, whatever D word you want to use, the Canadians, five to nothing last night. And uh, did us a favor of also scouting the Sharks players as well. Yeah, the Sharks actually scored more goals than I had hot dogs there, which was a surprise to me. That was sort of a running bet I was having with myself. But anyway, uh, Jack, uh, (laughs) Jonathan Dolan scored two goals in that game. And you wrote a fairly critical article of Dolan in April. It was titled, What's the Deal with Jonathan Dolan? And remember, everybody listening, you can subscribe to Jack's newsletter for free. You can look up this article for free. Just look up the Hockey Tactics newsletter. It's on Substack. But anyway, in this article, you argue that Dolan lacks the bridge skills, you, you say, to make an NHL impact. So can you kind of explain the importance of what these bridge skills are and if you saw any improvement from Dolan uh, in those areas last night? So um, first of all, I, you know, I knew of Dolan when I was with uh, the May Police organization because he was uh, kind of bouncing around between Europe and Vancouver's AHL affiliate in Utica. And, and the Marlies play a lot against Utica. So I would see his name, but I, I actually really saw him on the ice because he, he didn't really enjoy the AHL and he quickly went back to Sweden. And then more recently... Uh, last year, one of my clients actually played in uh, the Ausvenskin and played in the playoffs against Dahlin. So, so to help him out, I did a video study of um, Dahlin because he, he's essentially his team's best player. And they actually ended up winning that series to gain uh, promotion to the SHL. So that's really when I started to gain a, 
a better understanding of Dolan's game. And, and first of all, at that level, he was maybe a point and a half, two point a game kind of player, really dominant. And if you look at his point production ever since he was a junior, it was really solid. So a lot of the model based scouting, um, uh, you know, the model based scouts on hockey Twitter, they, they always advocated whether it's Vancouver or San Jose, you know, to bring Dolan to North America and, and have him, uh, you know, give him an opportunity to stick in the NHL. And so I was watching him in, in the Alzbenskin playoffs with that in mind. And what I saw was, you know, he's a player with the kind of offensive instinct and uh, skill and shot to really be a difference maker, uh, you know, certainly in Europe, but maybe even North America. But what I saw was missing is here's a player who's, not overly big, not overly fast by NHL standards, and who was really uncomfortable playing in traffic or playing in inside of contact. Mm-hmm. And obviously, when you go when you go from uh, second league in Sweden to the NHL, the ice is smaller, uh, the opponents are faster, the defenders are smarter, and you know, I, I initially had a really hard time imagining how he could kind of take his scoring and make it apply on an NHL rink. And uh, just a couple things here. First, uh, model-based scouting, that's basically uh, modeling how a prospect will do based on, on essentially the number of points he scores at his age level. So wherever that age level is, whatever the league is, too. Um, but with uh, Dolan, one of the things that the Sharks say about him, though, is that they like his game in tight, what he does in tight. So is that something that you've seen, uh, you saw yesterday, or is that something that you think the, the Sharks maybe are way off on that? Um, well, you know, he scored two goals. And the first one, he was in front of the net. He got a piece of the puck. And certainly, you know, it's, it's good to see a skilled player going to that kind of area. The second one was kind of more of a play off the rush. And the, the thing with a player like that is if they're getting a lot of pucks off the rush and they're involved, um, they're going to thrive. Because the difficulty when you compare, let's say, the NHL with whether it's AHL or SHL or KHL is it's harder to get the puck off the wall and into a good area. But then once you are in a good area, then obviously he's playing with better players who, who can, you know, make use of his skill and, and set him up. So what I like to see throughout the season is how consistently uh, can he get the puck out of his zone or off the wall or into a good area and create plays for others. Mm-hmm. Because what, like what, what I saw from him uh, last season in Sweden is if he has the puck on his stick, he's really good, like really good. But it's it's more about how often can he get touches and how often can he get involved because, you know, even against these lesser defenders, I saw him shy away from the play quite a few times. Hmm. So I guess you're suggesting that uh, at the NHL level, uh, with the puck, he is NHL quality, but you know, that's only when he has the puck and when he doesn't have the puck, what is he doing? And also too, is he helping to maybe get the puck to his teammates in a good place? And those are the question marks that you still have for his game. Yeah. And, and one player who, who's not maybe the best comparable from a style perspective, but just from the, 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 the process is 
uh, a guy like Victor Olofsson. So Victor Olofsson was a was a very good scorer for for Lunda in the SHL. Came over um, in the Buffalo Sabres organization, had a big season in Rochester, and then has been playing for the Sabres since then. Right. And he's a player once again is fairly one dimensional, extremely extremely good shooter, like a one timer on the power play, like very effective, good touch with the puck, very smart. But once again, you know, he's the kind of guy who relies on his teammates to create for him because uh, he has, you know, trouble playing inside contact, has trouble transitioning the puck uh, with the skating or getting off the wall. And and you see now in Buffalo, um, you know, initially he had a bit of a hot run. He did real well on the power right. play, but uh, really inconsistent. And, and that's the kind of challenge I foresee for, for Dahlin is, is – I think the peaks are going to be very good. Like obviously having a two, two goal game in the NHL is extremely promising, but you know, is he going to go, let's say, you know, three goals in five games and then no goals for 15 games. You know, can you consistently create uh, good pucks for himself or for his teammates and create shots and entries and exits that remains to be seen. But certainly if you give him two pucks in good areas, he, he can certainly score on them. And it'll be interesting to see if he can do that with that top line of Logan Couture and Timo Meyer, who are both starting off. Again, it's just two games, but they're both starting off with with pretty good uh, play so far from what we've seen. So if he can't play consistently in that role, could be a problem moving forward. So more to come on that here in about 15 to 20 games. So um, let's talk about another Swede in uh, one of your favorite players, Jack, Eric Carlson. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You've talked uh, very critically about Eric's play on San Jose Hockey Now. Anyone listening to this can just go to SanJoseHockeyNow.com, go to the search box, type in Jack Hahn, and uh, you'll see what Jack's thoughts are about Eric. And you've also done it in your own newsletter as well. So in Hockey Tactics 2021, you had a phenomenal chapter about Mike Riley and how Ottawa figured out how to work around Riley's shortcomings. Uh, does the same thing have to happen in San Jose with Eric Carlson? Well, okay. So in preparation for this podcast appearance, I, I did a bit of background research on Carlson this season, and I watched his first game against Winnipeg. And in the opening minutes of the game, I was actually pleasantly surprised because he looked to be skating pretty well. Like he was joining the rush. He had a, he had a scoring chance. Yeah, And then it's like things kind of tailed off a bit because so first of all, like I've watched Carlson, you know, growing up, you know, ever since he broke into the league, he was by far the most interesting player when he was with the Ottawa senators. And, and, and I, I look back fondly on that part of his career, but now, now that he's older, but also now that I know better, uh, I watch him much more critically because you know, as a coach who, who's who's been at the pro level, like I see him do five good things, and then I see him do one catastrophically bad thing that maybe overwrites the five good things. You call and, that the the big mistake, correct? Yes, yes. <laughs> and with a lot of players, maybe they don't quite wash out, like um, like I mentioned, Mike Riley, or maybe a guy like Devon Taves, who was a very underrated defenseman. Um, it's like maybe they'll do seven good things, and then one pretty bad but not that bad kind of thing yeah and then whether it's in their you know coursey or their expected goals or their actual goals it all ends up working out for them and their teams whereas with carlson now like you look at his shot impacts uh 
you know, in, in statistical models that are public, it's gone from pretty good to catastrophically bad. Plus, he's still giving up those odd man rushes or those big chances. Um, so really, right now, he's just not doing enough offensively or he's not surviving you know, enough defensive plays to really have that kind of impact. And ultimately, like from what I've seen, of, he's still that guy. He hasn't really changed for the better throughout this offseason. So, you know, like it's it's tough because he's had a lot of injuries and he's at an age where he's going to be declining anyway. Um, like I remember when I when I worked for the Habs in 2014, the four best defensemen on the planet, according to most, was in some order Drew Doughty, Eric Carlson, PK Subban, and Oliver Ekman Larson. And I would say all four of them now are pretty bad. <laughs> I, I'm most optimistic about Doughty. Like I'm sure you guys are going to see a lot of him. Like I I still think he has another gear and more to offer. But the other three guys, at, at various levels, like they look pretty pretty cooked to me (laughs) and you know with carlson i mean he's he and the sharks are stuck together though is there a a way he may not be the 2017 era carlson playoffs era carlson the norris trophy winning era carlson but what can he do to change his game so he can still be a effective specialist i guess at 11.5 million and what can the sharks do to work around him i guess i mean for for him like i i talk about in my newsletter but it just seems like throughout his career he's never really figured out how to defend the rush and you know the one thing that you will hear from about eric carlson from i I would say most everyone hockey is he's always been an elite skater and i would agree with that offensively so when he has the puck on his on a stick where he's jumping into the rush. Um, he's not as good as he used to be, but he's still pretty good. And the the one thing about skating with the puck is it pays to use a lot of crossovers when you skate with the puck. So you think about McKinnon or especially McDavid or, you know, even like Thomas Hurd or Timo Meyer or uh, uh, um, Eklund, who we'll get to shortly. But all of these skilled players, when they have the puck on their sticks, they use crossovers to create deception and to change speed, change direction. And uh, Carlson doesn't do it quite as well as they do, but you know he does do it uh, the odd time. But when you're defending, crossing your feet becomes a cardinal sin because what happens is, um, and the good players, the smart players, they know this, is when they have the puck and they're attacking defensemen one-on-one, if the guy crosses his feet, that's the time to drop in some sort of a, a deke and then go the other way and get him crossed up. And actually every, every basketball player knows this, right? As soon as um, th- the defender is kind of like kind of fumbling or crossing his feet, like you, you can just cross him up and trip him and go the other way and, and dunk. Right. So it, it's the, the same concept applies in hockey, except when Carlos is defending, he's never been able to learn the footwork pattern to avoid crossing his feet. And what happens is as soon as he crosses his feet, either he'll lose his balance or he'll lose an edge or he'll lose speed. Or if he's defending a really high-end player like a, a McKinnon or a McDavid, they're just going to you know, cut the other way and, and kind of leave him in the dust. And that part of Carlson's game has always been pretty bad. And now it's become you know, even more of a liability because the offense is not quite 
quite as good as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a huge theme of your book, Tactics 2021, uh, figuring out how to fit players together to accentuate each other's skills and hide each other's flaws. And it sounds like with Carlson that maybe the, the flaws are too great or he won't change his game enough uh, uh, to 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 mitigate uh, the, these flaws. But uh, one thing we, we talked about is um, Jake Middleton. And actually, uh, you're way higher on Jake Middleton than I think a lot of Sharks fans. <laughs> and <laughs> you guys don't know this, but Jack is a Jake Middleton lover. So. <laughs> Okay, so 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 you're kind of putting words in my mouth because what I said is Jake Middleton appears to be an NHL player, and obviously the points aren't there, and he doesn't have a huge pedigree. But um, I think there's actually really interesting elements uh, because you know, however much I hate uh, Carlson's rush defense or his defensive skating, I, I like Jake Middleton's. So Middleton's really simple with the puck. You're not going to see him make a lot of high-end offensive plays, but especially if he's playing with Carlson on the same pair, like watch both of them defend the rush. Mm-hmm. Like Middleton is really composed. His feet are really quiet. Um, he'll, he'll use these like sh- little shuffle steps to avoid crossing his feet. He holds his edges really well, and his backward glide is really good, whereas Carlson is kind of a yard sale. So actually, like um, if you want – if you want and a, uh, a clear example of what I'm talking about uh, when I say that Carlson's rush defense is bad, just watch him play with Jake Middleton. And honestly, I think if Carlson can do what Middleton can do defending the rush, like he would still be a legit top pair defenseman. Like that's exactly what he's missing. So when you play both of them together, I guess you can mitigate some of Carlson's weaknesses a little bit and maybe you know, accentuate Middleton's puck play because he just has to move it to Carlson. But it's not perfect because... Um, you know, it's not a per- there, there's not a perfect division of labor where Milton only needs to defend and Carlson only needs to attack, right? Like hockey's really fast, so things happen. But like that pair is interesting because you can potentially see uh, both of these players uh, help their partners with with hiding their weaknesses. I think uh, if if anyone wants to see the big difference, you could literally just go to the end of the game against Montreal where. Carlson bites on one of the stupidest pinches I've ever seen from a D-man in a long time and strands Middleton on a 2v1. I actually tweeted out, like, Middleton bailed out Carlson bad late in the third uh, against the Montreal Canadiens. So you can literally just go back and watch that game, and you'll see it at the very end there. Um, so I, I, that was just one example that I immediately thought of when you mentioned that. So I just wanted to put that out into the ether. Yeah, and... and- so now the question becomes like, okay, well, it's it's a great setup for for a sitcom, like a buddy comedy, like <laughs> yeah. the you know Dumb and Dumber or the Odd Couple or whatever. But th- does it work in hockey? So if Jake Middleton and and Eric Carlson become regular D partners, I guess we'll see a play out. <laughs> yeah, and I guess uh, you've written off Carlson as a top pairing defenseman. It seems like Jack can he still be a second pairing guy? Uh, I mean, it's it's undeniable that the hockey sense hasn't gone anywhere. You know, the hands haven't gone anywhere. It's just he, he can't move as well as he does before. So certainly, like, he's not a top-tier guy anymore because he can't play as well on both sides of the puck, and he doesn't create enough offensively to, to make it to, to outweigh everything. Um, 
I mean, it, 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 it all comes down to how good the Sharks are around him. Because if they're in the Ozone a lot and they're controlling play and they're uh, rushing their opponents and they're, you know, they're playing like Montreal, well, if they're already up 5-0, then who cares, right? Yeah. So, so I would say I think the better the Sharks are, the better Carlson's going to be and the more motivated he is going to be to maybe add a couple things to, to his game or to keep pushing. And, um, you know, if the Sharks fall a contention like last year, then it's hard to see why a player like that would really stay hungry, right? Mm. It's it's understandable. I'd add here, uh, Jack, that the Carlson truthers will point out that he has four points in two games. So cool. what do you say to that? Uh, lots of players can have four points in two games. That's what I was <laughs> say to that. It's, you know, how, how many can have 40 and 80? Well, not as many. How many can have 60 and 80? Not as many. So, But two points in four games, like... I think any three of us, uh, if, if we plant ourselves in front of the net and we have a few pucks go off our butts, then we could do it. But throughout a season, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, in your book, Jack, you also talk about how Joe Pavelski, my, my favorite player, has continued to produce despite losing a step. You know, a lot of it is in the line mates that Dallas has given him in the form of uh, Speeder, Rupe, Hintz, and Jason Robertson. Uh, when who you describe as someone who constantly improves the condition of the puck, i.e. someone who puts the puck in a better place and he originally got it. The Sharks, even without Pavelski, have a boatload of pl- older players who need to be complemented well. We've talked about Carlson, who's one of those players we literally just touched on. So what type of player complements, let's say, Logan Couture or Brent Burns or, dare I say, Mark Edward Vlasic? Or Schwartz's. <laughs> well, um, it, it, it's funny because I, I was talking about this with Shang, but the way that the Sharks played have never really changed since their peak years. You know, when when Thornton and Marlowe and you know Dan Boyle, or it's it's still like they still play mostly like a dump and chase kind of game. They forecheck very aggressively. They're one of the few teams that heavily employed the 2-1-2, which is a way more aggressive forecheck than kind of the, the typical 1-2-2. And like you could think of it as a full-court press, whereas the 1-2-2 is more of a zone type of defense where you're trying just to force your opponents to the outside so that they lose the puck or they have to dump it. Whereas the 2-1-2, like it's just you're playing man-on-man, you're defending up ice, you're trying to create turnovers. And... It's not, it's not a system that on the surface is really for older players because you need these fresh legs. You need young players who are energetic or good forecheckers who can take advantage of these turnovers. And, um, you know, I personally don't know what happened to precipitate that divorce between Pavelski and the Sharks. And my first reaction to that without knowing kind of the nuts and bolts of it is just maybe, you know, the Sharks thought that Pavelski was too old to play that way. Right. And the reason why he was able to, uh, I wouldn't say revive his career because he was always very good, but to to continue being good in Dallas is because he found line mates that complemented him. So, you know, he's a slower player who's maybe more conscious defensively and comes in a little bit later into the high slot. Whereas, you know, Rupe Hins is one of the fastest players in the league. He's great off the rush. Jason Robertson can do a bit of everything. Really smart player. Um, you know, he has those really great bridge skills that maybe like I don't see quite as much in Dalin, for instance. 
Uh, and so, so Robertson is actually a guy who creates a lot for his line mates. And Dallas is not off to a good start. He's not playing. I think he's banged up um, some sort of upper body injury. But you really see it how when Robertson's not there, um, you know, Hints and Pavelski aren't quite as good. So to, to get back to the Sharks, um, if you want these older players to succeed, then you've got to surround them with younger players who forecheck well, who can make some plays. And, and obviously it's easier said than done. Um, one player that uh, I found was interesting was uh, Barabanov. So I know Barabanov really well because I was with the Leafs during the process, like when they were trying to bring him over. So I, I, mm-hmm. I watched him quite a bit on video and I always liked Barabanov's ability to hound the puck. He had a real, he has a really good motor, good skater, uh, some offensive skills, decent hockey sense. And with Toronto, he could barely get on the ice. He couldn't really get into rhythm. But then as soon as he came over to San Jose last year, his game kind of took off. Right. And he's exactly the kind of player that, um, you know, can give a Couture or a Burns or a Vlasic kind of a second lease on life just because if he does the hard work of getting the puck, then these older established players, they can they can use their skill and their sense better. Mm. You know, and especially as long as the Sharks play this kind of aggressive game. And, like, if you look at the advanced stats behind uh, the Sharks so far, I mean, it's it's not a big sample size at all, but they they did really well against two two teams that have trouble moving the puck. So Winnipeg historically has had trouble breaking out their zone. Montreal's very underskilled on the back end for the most part. So against two teams that don't break the puck out well, you run that 2-1-2 with good energetic four checkers, that's going to be really effective. And, you know, they're able to create a lot of shots and really minimize um, shots against. But now the question becomes, at what point do the younger players run out of gas or at what point did the older players kind of lose even another step? So maybe, you know, the sharks are hot to start the season, but when November, December, January rolls around, maybe, uh, maybe that's where you see the slowdown. And, you know, uh, going to what you're saying about the sharks and Barabanov and ha- having a player with that, that motor to kind of pursue the puck and get it back. Um, you know, hate to drop him in the middle of our podcast, but that actually might help explain why they signed Evander Kane for so long, because that's sort of the model of player that Evander Kane is supposed to be in some ways. Yeah, um, I, I haven't really looked at his game in a while, but he, for sure, like it's the ability to forecheck, uh, but also the ability to finish is, is certainly there, and, and that's at a premium in this league, right? Mm-hmm. So, so certainly... You know, Kane being absent really hurts the Sharks. But but who's to say maybe his absence also maybe gives an opportunity for for some other players to step up and, and for the team to gel better. So so who's to say? Like, so far, so good, right? I just, um, I think they've outperformed certainly my expectations, but maybe yours as well. And now the question becomes, how much staying power does this team have over the course of a very long season? Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. But, you know, I, I think when we talk about uh, Joe Pavelski leaving, um, Evander Kane's contract, which they signed in uh, 2018, 2018, summer of 2018, uh, and then Pavelski left in 2019, definitely there's some relationship there. And so, and maybe, Jack, maybe you've kind of honed in on it there, uh, that the Sharks were looking for that those younger legs maybe to help complement their other older players. But anyway, uh, moving on, Jack. Uh, 
Did you see anything else uh, from the Sharks' win uh, over Montreal? Well, I mean, like Montreal is a team searching for confidence. They they don't really have a lot right now. They, you know, it's hard to identify what they're doing well because everything is kind of pretty mediocre right now, if mediocre at best. But um, but let's talk about Will and Mecklen because I really think like if you're talking about like a complementary player to Couture or Burns or Vlasic or Carlson, like like Eklund's got to be the guy. Like he was. Uh, he was one of my favorite players in this draft class. And if you ask most, uh, you know, scouts on hockey Twitter, like they, they would have him in the top three, maybe even first overall, just because he, he was at half a point a game in Sweden uh, in the SHL, which is really rare for a, a draft eligible player. And I actually watched all of his points and he, he didn't actually get that much power play time. Like a lot of those points were at even strength. So, which makes it even more impressive. And whether he's playing at center or on the wing, like he's got to be, he's got to be the future of the franchise. And um, one of the things we talked about um, the other day was uh, when Thornton was with the Sharks. Like, obviously, he was the guy around around whom everybody kind of operated, right? Sure. And the thing that Thornton is really famous for is he he didn't really he was productive with every every forward essentially I mean certainly he played a lot with Marlowe and Heatley and then later you know Setaguchi before that was Chichu but you know he found success with a variety of wingers but his calling card was he made use of his weak side defenseman so as a as a lefty centerman that player for him is the righty defenseman. So Dan Boyle. Yeah. And then later on Brent Burns. So, you know, even though the whole team played that two, one, two, like heavy four check game, Thornton was able to slow the game down a bit and then bring his defenseman into the game so that they often were able to attack four V three. And Eklund's a kind of player who can do that. Like if you're talking about a player who can extend the careers of Burns and Carlson, like he's the guy. So, you know, I like I, I don't know if he's going to get any reps at center, mm-hmm. um, but you can like he can run those patterns from left wing too. It, it doesn't really it doesn't matter all that much. But he's a guy that I would really, uh, you know, if you want Carlson to be uh, using his offensive skills, I look to pair him with Eklund as much as I can. You know, what certainly hard flutter Jack. Oh. <laughs> What have you seen out of William uh, in the? You said you watched him in the Winnipeg game too. So in those two games, have you seen a? You know, he's obviously still a, a teenager trying to step in the NHL. But have you seen at least some very promising flashes? And have you seen a player that should uh, stay with the Sharks beyond his nine-game trial? I mean, it's it all depends on what kind of opportunities he's going to get. Um, Certainly, if he goes back to Sweden, it's I think it's fair to expect that he's going to be a first line, first power play kind of kind of forward. So um, that might be a good thing for him. But then uh, I read uh, something recently, and, and I'm really I'm blanking out on who did the research. But there's research saying that it's actually better to to have your best prospects play in the NHL as soon as as soon as possible. And it makes sense on a certain level because, um, you know, they they get access to the best coaching and the best 
uh, physical conditioning and and the best skill development. And you know, they they learn the system, they get acquainted with the teammates, stuff like that. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't feel strongly about um, about where he goes. I just think if, if he stays healthy and you know, if, if he if he continues to enjoy himself playing hockey and playing his game, like I don't really care because he's such a good player. He'll he'll be okay anywhere. Do you have any thoughts of him going to the AHL? Uh, he's expressed a willingness to go there if he and the Sharks think that he's you know really close to the AHL level. Just with your experience in the AHL, is that uh, a suitable league for him or? You know, I think the argument for that is probably just that he can continue to get acclimated to the smaller ice, and he would be a first-line player there, first-line power play there. Um, but what are your thoughts? So I I don't know this the the Barracudas all that well. I've never coached against them. But the one thing I can't get out of my head is like, if you're a player who gets sent down there on a on an entry-level contract, like that that has got to be the worst place in in, in the league to live in. It's like it's like you're you're living in San Jose on what like eighty grand a year or something like that. That's terrible. You're you're like you gotta you gotta be eating fast food every day. Like like how are you ever gonna get by like that? Like has has um has San Jose been like have they had trouble historically like recruiting people to the Barracudas because of that or or like how they get around it? I'm sure it's a challenge in some ways. I actually did a story about this. Funny you mentioned it. I did a story uh, for elite, elite Prospects a number of years ago. And it was just about the high cost of, of living in San Jose for AHL players. And I think uh, it's a it's a kind of a, not a one-of-a-kind problem. You know, I think players in Chicago might have that problem too, the Chicago Wolves or players in San Diego, the San Diego Gulls. Uh, but definitely, though, San Jose is not uh, Binghamton. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination in terms of uh, rent. And so solutions that they mentioned were things like, yeah, you know, we just kind of uh, triple up in, in these kind of condos. Uh, the condos also, they have agreements with the condos where they can vacate after nine months and sort of note, hey, we're players. We're not going to stay over the summer. And so that's another way that they can save some money. So they do get by. I'm sure it is a consideration, uh, probably especially for the players with families. Um, but they do seem to get bited, and they do attract pretty good talent there. Uh, I mean, not just like players they draft, but guys that they sign. They seem to do okay with that. Doesn't seem to be a huge problem, but it is definitely interesting. And so for uh, Will William Eklund, though, it could be fine though because William has professed his love for IKEA and Chipotle. And guess what is perfect <laughs> for your budget if you're making, you know, <laughs> AHL money. <laughs> anyway, I I just think like. Like there's a lot of people who are fans of William Eklund, and I am too. Like he's there's just a lot to like. He's just a really good hockey player. Like I I don't know what what more to say. <laughs> I love how you dropped Jumbo's name because a few weeks ago when I was talking to Shang, we were highlighting his no look passes that Mario Ferraro like attributed to him, and uh, I said, wow, that just those no look passes just. Jumbo is the first person that comes to mind just because I'm a San Jose Sharks fan. And then Shang chastises me. We're not even recording. He says, no, 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 no. We can't say William Eklund's like Jumbo. We can't do that. <laughs> and then he goes on to say that how he plays in contact areas reminds him of Wayne Gretzky. So I just thought it was funny that you brought up Jumbo 
as well. So, Shane, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I all I was saying was that that I saw an Eklund in preseason. I didn't say he was like Gretzky, but that you know Gretzky had a gift with avoiding contact and knowing when contact was coming, and so he, he didn't take the brunt of a lot of hits, even though guys obviously were trying to hit him. Um, and just uh, just to answer back. When I asked Logan Couture the same question about Eklund and what he saw out of Eklund and Eklund's ability to avoid contact, he cited Patrick Kane. So, booyah, <laughs> right there, right? Okay, okay. <laughs> so they're all citing a, a lot of legends, a Hall of Famers right here <laughs> yeah. in Eklund's uh, name. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, pa- Patrick Kane's not a bad comparable. I mean, if the, the the special thing with Kane is he's always adding to his game. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's become a better shooter since he broke into the league. He's kind of tweaked. Uh, a few parts of his game. So w- with Eklund, like if, if he can keep adding to his game, then the sky's the limit really for him. Jack, I had a question that I was thinking about while I was uh, kind of going through your sub stack. And I, I saw an article that you wrote on March 31st called, and, and I saw it instantly and it just instantly, I had to click. It's called how to ruin a player. And <laughs> it's, it, I loved it. Honestly, I read the whole thing. It was uh, your player development matrix. I believe you pulled out of your previous hockey tactics books as well. Um, Sharks fans have been, for lack of a better term, they've been disappointed with Ryan Merkley's development or lack of development, I should say. You know, in one of your articles on uh, the hockey tactics newsletter, the one I just mentioned, how to ruin a player you essentially break it down. This is how you develop a player. You have these four different categories and this is how you ruin a player. And you gave a couple of examples as well. So I get this question a lot from Sharks fans, especially out there on social media. And I don't have enough of an experienced hockey mind such as yourself, especially in regards to player development. So I was wondering if you could do me a favor here and answer the question for me. Are the Sharks ruining Ryan Merkley or is his lack of development in air quotes uh, due to his own shortcomings? Okay. So I tend to be very kind of player friendly in a lot of these situations. Like I give the players the benefit of the doubt. Um, And I think Ryan Merkley's got a lot of holes in his game, even dating back to juniors. I, I haven't really watched him closely for a long time now, but um I scouted him quite a bit in his draft year. And what I saw, like, I didn't love. Like, the skill was there uh, offensively. Like, he can throw a pass like nobody's business. Uh, you know, he could play forward and defense, like, at the same time. But really, I, I didn't see him play a lot of defense. It was just the puck would be down low. He'd go and get the puck. Uh, he's kind of skate around with it, make a pass. It would get picked off, and then he would be, like, the fourth player back into the zone. And one of the red flags that I that, that I kind of pointed out was, um, you know, in addition to, to doing video scouting, I would track some stats. So whether it's exits, entries, shots for and against. And for a guy who's really skilled and is really offensive and who really should be able to tilt the ice for his team, he never really does that. Like he's giving up as much as he creates, except it's in juniors. Like any kind of guy who, who has a pro future, like should be dominating at that level. Like, you know, he was maybe breaking even. And and that I found very worrisome just because, you know, if you go back to the Carlson conversation, like I don't like for a junior player, I don't mind if you're giving up odd man rushes or if you're making bad pinches, but like, please just create more chances than you're giving up. Right. Like yeah. 
at least break even or better. And I, I just thought that Merkley struggled to do that. And, you know, he, he's kind of a free spirit, a lot of skill. I, I just never thought that the way that he played the game was going to be very appetizing to, to whichever team drafted him and, you know, had the, the responsibility to, to develop him. So that doesn't mean that he's not going to play in the NHL. Like I, on talent, he's, he, he clearly will. But now the, the the issue becomes like, you know, it's you can only lead a horse to water, right? I I kind of see how everybody's in a tough spot here. But if Merkley doesn't make the NHL, it, it'll simply because be because he wasn't good enough, not because he got ruined along the way. Gotcha, gotcha. Sorry. Yeah. So everyone listening to that, there's <laughs> your answer. He needs to work on his own shortcomings. It's not just the Sharks' fault. <laughs> yeah, if I can say, in my perspective, I think the Sharks have given, given him uh, every chance to grab a, a, a grab a spot in the NHL. That's my opinion. All right. So, Jack, Sharks fans are uh, pretty excited about the team's quick start this year. Yes, it's only been two games, and uh, when they're listening to this, they'll be facing the Ottawa Senators. But do you think... This is the hot question. Do you think they can make the playoffs? And what has to happen for them to do so other than a meteorite hitting all of the Vegas team at once? Like or 2006 Joe Thornton coming back from the ground and uh, joining the Sharks. <laughs> yeah. What's the uh, what's like the best goaltending season that a Sharks goalie has ever had? Like uh, has anyone the Bokoff, you know, probably like a, a low 920 save percentage. Vezina finalist, but not, you know, obviously didn't, didn't win. I think Nabokov was a finalist once. I could be wrong about that. But, yeah, it's something that ranged, though. Top five Vezina-ish. Okay, so so here's how I see how I see it happening if it happens. Mm-hmm. So the team starts out pretty hot. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're grinding people down with that forecheck. Uh, Eklund has an excellent rookie season. Dahlin, uh, you know, is a, is a solid kind of second-line scorer. Uh, you know, Carlson does okay. Burns is okay. Vlasic does okay. And then Aiden Hill plays for like nine, nine twenty-two or something like that. Nine twenty-five. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, because so, what's gonna what, what's yeah. gonna happen is like this team comes out hot. Like they got a lot of piss and vinegar. They forecheck really hard. To, mm-hmm. But once again, it's like how much staying power do they have in November, December, January, February? Right. Right. So basically, Aiden Hill has to be Andre Vasilevsky. <laughs> In your view, for the Sharks to maybe a little short, not quite Vasilevsky, but uh, a click a click or two short of Andre Vas Vasilevsky for the Sharks to make or, it. To the or or you know uh, maybe Reimer is the guy. I don't know, but Reimer's not the guy. <laughs> well, they can both be the guy. They, they they can both play goalie at the same time. Yes. Yes. Th- th- yes finally, the Reimer's uh, Transformers uh, heritage finally coming to fruition. <laughs> no, but but you know what, like. I mean, I'm not a Sharks fan, so so I, I don't have the kind of expectation. Like, I, I'm just curious to see, uh, you know, Eklund and, and you know, Timo Meyer and Thomas Hurdle and Bossers. Like, I like those players. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think if if they play well as a team, like, maybe they have a chance, but certainly, like, something's got something's to run hot. All right, well, All right, uh, folks, we've heard fair. it. Jack likes exactly four Sharks players. Four Sharks players. <laughs> <laughs> so keep, keep, keep and, and a watch on Middleton. them. 
And yeah. Jake, oh, and Jake Middleton. Middleton. He loves Jake Middleton. <laughs> Your new Twitter is going to be Jack the Jake Stan. Like, that's all it's going to be. <laughs> that's that's Jack's ideal power play. I, um, it, it's <laughs> funny because I, I worked with this, with his brother, Keaton, when, when oh, yeah, uh, Ke- right. Keaton was yeah. a Maple Leafs prospect. So, right, right. And, and, like, he got it. Like, Keaton and everybody that drafted him, like, got a lot of heat. But I actually really liked the way Keaton defended at the end. Like, big guy, like, long stick, defends the rush pretty well. And... He got into some NHL games with Colorado last year, which was way more than I expected. So, so good for him. Good, good for that family. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us here today, Jack. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, I'm going to leave the floor open for you. Pump whatever content you have coming out. Tell the folks what you're going to be doing with the Connecticut Whale, where to follow you, all that stuff. Throw it all out there. So um, best way to follow me is on Twitter, J-H-A-N-H-K-Y. Um, Connecticut Whale. Watched them on ESPN Plus this season. They're they just signed a new deal, so really excited for uh, fans in the U.S. to 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 catch on of our games. I won't be behind the bench except maybe if they're playing in Toronto. But uh, certainly, you know, watch women's hockey. It's great hockey. And uh, uh, if you if you want to support me, buy one of my eBooks. Uh, sign up for my newsletter. Um, you'll learn something about hockey. 100% factual information because I read both books within the last 48 hours and I have learned more there than, you know, multiple different spots, especially your, uh, your use of the different graphics. When I was reading the Joe Pavelski chapter, it really, uh, opened my, my eye to, uh, how he uses his hockey IQ to keep up with the speed quote unquote of, uh, of Rupe Hints. So again, go uh, go give Jack a follow. Go subscribe to his newsletter. It is free. And then go buy one of his books so you can learn to be a better Sharks watcher. So Yeah, and, uh, and I think Shang has a coupon code for my book. So hit up Shang if you want to get right. $5 off. It's uh, Shang5. Shang5. So it's, that's going to be the new uh, Biz20, guys. And, yeah. <laughs> and also, too, uh, Jack is uh, kind enough that uh, he... Uh, wants to give one of his books away to a uh, San Jose Hockey Now subscriber. We haven't quite figured out, or I haven't quite figured out how to go about that, but uh, look for that coming soon. It's a terrific book. It's well worth the purchase anyway, especially with the Shang 5 code and say $5. But uh, one of uh, you guys listening, uh, you're going to get a chance to win the book. All right, Jack. Thanks again for hopping on with us. I appreciate you joining us. I know it's getting late over there in Montreal might be past your bedtime. You might get in trouble. Might end up on the couch. I mean, we'll see what happens. But thanks again, Jack, for joining us. I, I appreciate you taking your time out of your day and talking Sharks hockey with us. And, Jack, uh, next time we're here, we're going to go to Rubens. We'll try another uh, smoked meats place. We'll see, you know, how it stacks up with the current king in my heart, Schwartz's. <laughs> okay. Okay, see you guys. <laughs> see you. Big thank you to Jack Hahn for jumping on and talking Sharks hockey with us. I hope that he could help answer some questions that some Sharks fans may have out there. You know, especially the Merkley one. That one just seems to get brought up quite a bit and so many times that I've actually lost track of it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, big thank you again to Jack. Make sure you go check out that video. Again, we've said it multiple times. Go to SanJoseHockeyNow.com. Find this article for this podcast. We're going to have the whole video embedded into the article. It's a nice five, six-minute long video that breaks down a, a nice analytical breakdown of the Sharks power play and kind of how they found success. 
Uh, again, if you're going to buy his book, the 2021 Hockey Tactics book that he came out with, make sure you use promo code SHANG5, that's the number 5, SHANG5, to get that uh, $5 discount. Um, the Pavelski chapter that we spoke about, honestly, it was awesome to see from a Pavelski fan like myself. So many of you know how much of a fan I am of Pavelski. I mean, shit, even my Reddit tag has still Pavelski 8 to this day. Um, the Pavelski breakdown is just amazing to see. And to get it from an analytics mind, from a man who's been in the industry for so long and has surrounded himself with such great talent, um, it's nice to see that Pavs is still doing what Pavs is known to do down in Dallas. So, again, thank you all for listening. And thank you to those who've helped contribute to Shang's Travel Fund. Um, it's been unparalleled coverage. And I'm saying that with some bias. Uh, but starting as a SJ Hockey Now supporter and now to a SJ Hockey Now podcaster, this has honestly just been, it's amazing to see the, you know, the pouring of like support from the, the Sharks community. So again, from, from Shang and from myself, thank you for the support to allow him to bring you and myself, all of us, unparalleled Sharks coverage. That's going to do it for us today, folks. Uh, again, remember we're recording this Wednesday night. It'll come out Thursday morning. Um, I'm excited to see how the Sharks can handle the back-to-back against Ottawa and Toronto uh, and, and a true test and skill there. And we'll see kind of where they're at to come this time next week. Uh, make sure you guys all stay safe, take care, and stay hydrated. Stay hydrated.